Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever-expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover the CBS all-access series, The Stand. Episode 8, The Stand. Let's start the show. The story reaches a climax as Larry, Ray, and Glenn, imprisoned in Vegas, realize that Flag's hold over his citizens isn't as absolute as he might think it is. Glenn senses the fear of the citizenry, especially when he and the others are put on a show trial. Glenn goads a fearful Lloyd until Lloyd shoots and kills Glenn. Nadine visits Larry and then goes into labor with Flag's child. Before she can give birth, though, she has a change of heart and leaps out the penthouse window to her death. She then visits Larry one more time. Larry and Ray are sentenced to death during a techno dance scene that highlights Flag's dance moves. Things devolve from there until eventually, mercifully, the trash can man's nuclear warhead destroys Vegas. Meanwhile, in the middle of the desert, James Margeson, as Stu, and a dog share one of the most emotional moments and well-acted scenes of the series. Tom shows up. Back in Boulder, Franny and Joe see the fallout of the bomb, and she goes into labor. Jay, as you can tell, as that recap got a little bit more silly, I really lost interest in the show quick. This episode was a disaster. Are you saying that a golden retriever was a better actor than Flag's Button? <laughs> I think so. I'll allow that a that a living creature, a beautiful golden retriever, is a better actor and has more range than Flag's Button. He saved Stu's life. Stu was going to commit suicide until the golden retriever convinced him not to. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. It is. Can I just say that this show leans a little bit heavy on suicide? We've had a number of characters kill themselves. Nadine, Dana, Franny tried to kill herself at one point. Yeah, a little bit too much. Stu considers killing himself. Harold actually does kill himself. Like, there's a lot of leaning on suicide, and I will never forgive the show for having Franny attempt suicide in that, those first couple of episodes and really not doing anything about it since then. Yeah. Shameful. Anyhow, we're going to have enough to complain about. I don't need to be starting off on a bad note, Jay. We probably should get into some listener feedback and see what our listeners think about these episodes. But before we think about what they say about episode eight, let's go back to episode seven. What were people saying about last week's episode, Jay? A little bit extra likes the Stu and Glenn relationship. They say it's probably the best one and the only one that made me tear up so far. And I agree with you there a little bit. Wait till you see this episode with the dog. <laughs> in in episode seven, when Glenn said goodbye to Stu, that was the most heartfelt, or at least the most emotional scene for me as well. So I'm right there with you. Our good friend Liz said, I didn't swear at the TV at all, which makes this episode the best so far. High praise there, Liz. That's the bar. Wait to get to episode eight. I can only imagine what you're saying to the TV right now. <laughs> Public Defender 716 said, Wonder how many more episodes would have made this a better show. Maybe four more. 
or even two seasons of eight episodes, it would be great to flesh out everyone and allow the show to breathe. Here, here, I think we at least need four more episodes. But then again, if the show is four more episodes, I, it would just be four more episodes that I don't want to watch at this point. Yeah, four more on top of this would be bad if you started from scratch. When I heard that there was going to be nine episodes of this show, I was like, wow, they're going to have so much time mm -hmm. to actually do what you need to be done with the stand. And they just wasted it. Megan, my father, and a few other people noticed that there was a road sign going into Vegas that had two cities listed. And one of them had 18 miles to go and the other one had 20 miles to go. And if you did some algebra there, you would realize that that's an average of 19. I absolutely love this, by the way. First of all, I never knew that doing more than addition or subtraction, or actually just more than addition, was like fair game in terms of finding 19 in things. It never occurred to me to do averages. That's so much more freedom to find 19. I love it. Yes. So shout out to all of you who have taken this obsession to another level. The one extra thing that Mr. McGurr said was that some production assistant had to drive around Nevada for hours to find a place where you could find an 18 and a 20 somewhere so this could work. And also shame on the production crew for not creating a sign that said Vegas 19 miles. Yeah, exactly. That same Megan also thought that Harold being impaled by the tree after he falls off his motorbike may be a possible thinny to how a member of the Cotet died. Oh. She said, I don't want to mention which member of the Cotet because of spoiler reasons, but let's just say Jay was deeply impacted by the death of that member of the Cotet. Yes. Megan, that is a great call out, and now I'm sad. <laughs> we got an email from Tom A, and he said, I thought episode seven got a lot of things right. The scenes of the four walking across the open country, Harold's death, it actually felt like an adaptation of the book I know and love which is a shame, because it gave a brief glimpse at how good the series could have been if they had just stuck closer to the source and didn't gimp the character journeys by messing with the chronology. My main problem with it is Vegas and its characters. You don't say, Tommy. <laughs> I can only imagine what you thought when you got to this episode, because all the problems with Vegas and its characters were just brought to the forefront and thrown in our face for 48 minutes. Yeah. I'll just say I agree with everything you said, Tom. Yep. Thanks for writing in. Yeah. So even though uh, the episode just premiered today, episode eight, we already got some listener feedback. One from our good friend, Heathen King, who's following up on what Tom said by saying, everything in Vegas throughout this whole series has been terrible. This episode is no exception. Nope. I love how our friend Heathen King just distills everything down to like a few key words and just nails it right. Mm-hmm. Sam G says, the courtroom scene makes me want to throw up. <laughs> the laughter is my editorial <laughs> edition. <laughs> I'm imagining the writer spitballing ways to make the scene feel ominous and failing, I, I would say. Well, Sam specifically pointed out how like there's people with beers and there's people with costumes and there's over the top yelling and just all the different things. It's like, not let's not choose one of those. Let's put them all in the scene. Yeah. Fill up the room with whatever. And then our final listener feedback so far in episode eight was from Screwy Louie. So many problems with the show, but Alexander Skarsgård has been a massive disappointment. Yeah, but those dance moves, Screwy Louie, you got to give it up for that. 
So Jay, I think if it's not clear, we really felt that this episode was just sort of a mockery of the show. Yes. Of the story, not the show. The show itself is a mockery of the <laughs> of the book. This whole thing is a mockery. I first had the thought during the trial uh, that this is a mock trial and the scene and the show and this entire adaptation is mocking me and mocking everyone else who's watching it at this point. I have found and worked to find redeeming things in this adaptation because I am such a fan of the source material, but I've struggled so much with every episode and I was really hoping that they would find a way to put maybe some sort of redemptive cap on it with episode eight. And instead, this is probably the worst episode of the whole series for me. And the, the whole thing was just, just not great. Uh, I, I will talk about some of the things I liked a little bit a little later, but I just wanted to call out that uh, this, this mock trial was just like a, a hard, they just turned into the skid and that's it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I have done a good job of not reading any reviews, not seeing any spoilers. Like I'm coming to each episode fresh. And somehow this morning, I saw a couple of still pictures from this episode that were released by CBS All Access to promote the show. Mm -hmm. And I saw that they were looked to be in a courtroom. And I'm like, what? They're not in a courtroom. And I immediately got very concerned. And when they actually showed the courtroom, the tonal shift of the show just changed for me. Like this show has been, if nothing else, quite serious up to this point, which isn't a surprise. I mean, we were dealing with a major pandemic that kills off most of the world and good versus evil. Like, but that tone's been fairly consistent. Like it's, it's very, I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say dour, but like everyone's taking it seriously. And this episode just made this turn of like, it got really campy all of a sudden more so like Lloyd is just over the top and he's telling these jokes and you can sort of let that pass and say like, Oh, they're just having fun in this and this is part of Vegas being let loose but it wasn't just that it was the whole way that the show decided to lean into that with after Nadine throws herself out the window and Lloyd is like Lloyd and Flag are just sort of looking and wondering what happened and Flag says Lloyd cancel the nursery that's like a what some sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger line at the yeah. end like it totally doesn't fit with the scene with Flag, with what we knew about all this, like... Or Skarsgård's performance. Yeah. He falls to his knees and weeps. He, like, Randall Flag cries. And then while his cheeks are still wet with his own tears, his demon tears, he does the, you know, hasta la vista baby line. And, like, what are you doing? It's not even a good line, right? No. That's got to be easily one of the worst lines in TV ever said. Lloyd, cancel the nursery. The stork store called and wants his stork back. Bye-bye, baby. <laughs> and then Nadine dies. And then flags like, waste not, want not. And then we see a woman in a bellhop costume strolling down the hallway with a covered plate. And the whole time you're like, I know what's under the cover. I know what's under the cover. I know what's under the cover. They lead to Larry. Hey, Larry, do you want something to eat? They lift up the cover. Hey, it's Nadine's head. What a surprise. Like, they haven't been doing this campy, crazy shit 
and they shouldn't have started leaning into it now, seven and a half hours into the into the series. It's not just a woman in a bellhop costume. It's rat woman in a bellhop costume. Now, and that's another thing. Like rat woman's costumes have been pretty spectacular throughout whatever we've seen her, but they don't line up with like kind of like how this show works. Like you said, with the tonal stuff, she's like a Looney Tunes character. She's <laughs> like every time you turn around, she's dressed differently, but just so for the scene she's in. Yeah. She's pushing a cart with Nadine's head. So now she's wearing the, the hotel bellhop uniform. When she's in the, the courtroom, she's sort of dressed as a judge and she's, you know, that kind of stuff going on. When she's the announcer for the, I guess, slave gladiator battle, <laughs> she's got some other costume. When she's the nurse helping with Nadine's childbirth, she's got a, a nurse costume. And it's like every time she turns around, her costume just is yep. perfectly just so. And that makes sense in a cartoon, but it doesn't make sense for this show. No. It's fun, but it just doesn't quite fit. Not at all. Another thing that that makes me think about how the show is, is a mockery of the source material is that this adaptation is just going through the motions. It's checking off plot boxes. At this point, I am convinced that the adaptation process was, let's write down every single major plot point of the stand arrange them in the order that we want, and then make sure every single one of those plot points happens in front of a camera lens and do absolutely no work to link those plot points to one another. Yep. They just happen. Does Franny have a baby? Check. Does an atomic bomb go off? Check. Does Trash Can Man bring an atomic, you know, find an atomic bomb? Check, 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 check. But why do those things happen? What and why do they happen in this order? And why does why does it matter to other characters if if yet another character does something? It doesn't. It's a mess, and I think it's it it's just mocking us at this point. Let's introduce a character we haven't seen, but like in the courtroom, they they sort of zoom in on a guy who doesn't look as excited as everyone else. Mm. And then a little bit later, we see the same guy in another situation. He doesn't look excited about the situation. And then a third scene later, we see that guy again. It's like, should I know who this guy is? And I know what we're building up to, right? Like there's going to be people who go against Flag. And I assume this is supposed to be the uh, Whitey character from the book, who in the book yeah. is one of Lloyd's compatriots, right? Like he's one of the friends. And mm -hmm. when, when Trash Can Man shows up, they're like, hey, you, come on, come hang out with us. But we haven't seen this guy until this episode. He just shows up and looks sort of weird. And you're like, okay, they could have built that up leading up to this they didn't do the work up front to make this happen the nadine scene with larry doesn't have any effect because we didn't see enough of larry and nadine earlier to know what their relationship was like to know that this should matter yeah it just all doesn't work because they didn't do the work up front and speaking of uh whitey slash whitney because I, I think his name is whitney but they called him whitey i really don't like all these random big dudes mm. the tough guy soldier types the ones who they're always flanking Lloyd or or somebody because there's a they, they just need to have a tough guy. It's a muscle. Yeah, the, the muscle. But they never need muscle in those scenes. 
the big tough guy doesn't have to do any muscle stuff. He's just there to be a big burly guy holding a machine gun and then ultimately doesn't do anything. So nothing against the, the actors who got cast in these roles, but the showrunners missed an opportunity to put Whitey in those moments. Have Whitey flanking Lloyd. Have Whitey have his own reaction to a moment that is perhaps different than Lloyd's reaction. And then we can see like, wait a second, earlier in the, in the show, Whitey's on board with these things. And in the middle of the, the show, Whitey's kind of getting like, huh, this doesn't seem quite right. And by the end, Whitey's like, no, absolutely not. I will not stand for this. And wow, we've just managed to have an arc in a character, even if he never utters a word. Yep. Instead, we just get big tough guy who doesn't say a word and also doesn't do anything. He's just the big tough guy. You got to use what's there. I mean, if you're only if you're not going to spend the time, that guy was on like the, the big tough guys were on camera plenty. You could have just swapped in a different like a character, give the character a name, give him some speaking lines before his first speaking line is like, I'm not afraid of you. Yeah, they wasted Larry's character arc. He builds up to nothing. Yeah, the themes that they introduced here could have been interesting and timely. So it seems like I don't know if like episode eight was filmed after everything else, but like episode eight seems to focus on flag as a empty suit cult of personality Mm -hmm. that everybody buys into because of his celebrity. And let's all make this a TV show. And all of a sudden characters like Julie Lawrie and Ratwoman and Lloyd have a good understanding of how TV production and crowd management works. And they're able to, set up these cameras and scenes and edit it and cut it in such a way that all of a sudden, like this is a theme about how in America we are obsessed by image and how that facade, like that's a, that, that could have been an interesting theme that could have been carried around throughout the show. And instead it's just sort of introduced here and dropped and makes no sense whatsoever. You could have, again, built that up by having characters who you saw in those roles earlier, mm-hmm. bring those roles to Vegas because it would be a natural place for them to end up instead of Boulder. Just lazy. Yeah. How much fun would it have been if Ratwoman was like a, I don't know, a Richard Dawson type or, or maybe for a, a newer generation? A bachelorette, a reality take game show host or something. But the, the host, uh, like, or an Alex Trebek type of person and and you, and we see her early on before the plague has hit or just as the plague is hitting and there's she's in one of the final tv broadcasts that goes out and she's she's dressed like you know a normal person doing tv appearances and then the next time we see her we can recognize her but now she's dressed like like a crow or whatever yeah. she's got going on like oh wow she's one of the people who survived and she went to flags camp and She's like gone full tilt crazy town, which is kind of cool, but she still remembers how to run a TV show. Yeah. So perfect. That's why Flag brings her into this, this circle of, of his you know, minions, right? Yep. Instead, she just seems like a random crazy person who also happens to be able to run a TV show yeah. and also knows how to deliver babies and I guess also knows how to be a busboy or a, a bellhop. <laughs> To be fair, that one might not take as much skill as the others, but yeah, so I true, see where you're going true. there. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh. The other thing that I think we should talk about is the hand of God. And I'll give the show this much credit. We've said this other times. The show has been consistently great to look at. Mm-hmm. They had an immense special effects budget for the show and some on-location scenes that were just beautiful. And this hand of God effect really worked. Everything from the cloud that seems to form fingers that wrap around the Inferno Hotel as though the hand of God is now visible in the sky and is crushing uh, the hotel in its fist. Great. Love it. Except this makes no sense. Everything that happens in these final moments, the hand of God, that sparking white bright light thing that dances around, the bolts of electricity that shoot through people and blow them into bits, trash can man driving the nuclear warhead into the hotel and pulling right up next to the swimming pool where Larry and Ray are chained. All of those things are meaningful and effective in the book because they re- they're a result of Flag's own hubris and not noticing things. Flag is the agent of his own ruin in the book. Yep. And here, all of these things simply happen for no apparent reason, and they are definitely not caused by Flag. Flag yells to Trash Can Man, you're not supposed to be here with that nuclear warhead that I specifically told you to get and bring to the airport to load on the plane. <laughs> so Flag never intended that, but he, yeah, sure, he didn't know Trash Can Man would drive inside the hotel. Right. He knew about the nuclear warhead. And in the book, it's Flag's magic that is that spot of bright light that ignites the bomb. And he used it to manipulate somebody. He went way overboard to, I think it might have been Whitey. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was to to basically tell Whitey to shut up because I have power and you don't. And here's a little sizzle in the air to, to show you what I can do. That is Flag's undoing. Flag didn't create that little ball of light in the show. None of this stuff. It's just like more checking plot boxes. Yeah. Trash Game Man has to do this, and the Hand of God has to do that. Check, check, check. It just is empty and hollow, and it's just a series of things happening. It's like a little kid telling you a story, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. As far as Hand of God goes, I'm really, really disappointed by how this turned out. And again, Larry and Ray are sort of a after effect to all of this. Yeah. They're not necessary for that. Like the whole idea behind how it worked in the book was that they're the ones who bring the crowd together. Yeah. It's because of what they're doing that people start speaking up and and flag has to get angry. And 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 here it just seems like, yeah, that's part of it with Lloyd sort of saying, Hey, I liked your songs and I don't really want to kill you. And then Lloyd decides not to, which again is an unrealistic keel turn, I think, by Lloyd or mm-hmm. I guess baby face turn by Lloyd here. It doesn't have that impact that Larry has of standing high up above the crowd saying, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Here he's trying to speak it into the microphone, but it just doesn't work. And it's like you said, it's just there to check off the boxes and to do it poorly. Yeah. I mean, the show even undoes a little bit of that with the televised part of the execution. It's everybody in Vegas gathering in a single point to witness this outdoor execution of. Larry and Ray. 
or or Ralph in the book, and and then the the bomb showing up in their midst. If you're going to televise the the execution and people can watch it from wherever there's a screen, which is in Vegas, literally everywhere, then you don't need to be there to see it. You don't need to be. I mean, it's an atomic bomb. You kind of don't need to be near it either. <laughs> so, so I guess there's that logic. But the whole point was everybody was on was on top of them on top of each other for the execution. And here, there's even less reason for them to be gathered. Another thing I want to, want to mention is that the lightning effect. It was really cool to see. Like again, the the special effects budget is is great in this show. The lightning zaps people apart. They they kind of just like explode when they get hit by this electricity. But it's also an effect that I've seen like a dozen times in things like Star Trek, Indiana Jones. Yeah, you know the 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 phaser goes off and the person just like disintegrates. And yep. okay, great. But why did the show spend literally minutes, minutes that they could have been doing more character development or something, zapping them individually, one by one? Let's kill Julie. Let's kill so-and-so. Let's kill, you know, like when a bomb was going to go off and kill everybody. Yeah. And it actually gives time for people to run away. Like the, the crowd gets scared and they escape the hotel they run into the streets they don't get far enough to avoid being killed by the bomb so all of the main players the the most evil people the ones responsible for the most deaths they all get individual instantaneous almost like merciful killings before the bomb goes off it kind of just it, it undercuts itself i'm getting tired of just being negative about the show and i'm sorry to our listeners who just if they're still tuning in and they're still listening at this point in the episode. Fun stuff's coming up. We had at least two people tweet today saying how they're just hate watching the show at this point. So yeah. I, I don't think that we're alone in these thoughts. It, it just hurts that there was such opportunity and promise and it was just gone by the wayside. And again, yeah, I don't think that I'm anything special. Like I know it's not easy to write, produce, create, direct a TV show. But if I'm figuring this stuff out on the fly five minutes of watching the show, you would think that well-paid writers in a room could have figured this out before it got to screen, but... Yeah. Anywho, how about those Dark Tower thinnies, Jay? The only one that I found uh, was that the sigil of the Crimson King, kind of, like something similar to what we've seen elsewhere, was hanging at, in red banners. Yeah. in the front of the courtroom scene. And this version of that crimson eye also sort of looked like a spider. Instead of being like this kind of kind of like the curly cue, more like a human eye shape uh, with some extra spirals in it, this was like an eye that had long legs that extended down. Mm, yeah. I think it still worked. Like you could see that one was this was sort of a different interpretation of the other, but this one was just had that much more of a it leaned that much more into the the, the spider idea, and I liked that. I liked it for that. Yeah, they also had it hanging up in the inferno during the techno dance scene. Oh, I saw nothing else in that except Skarsgård dancing. You can't keep your eyes off of him. No, <laughs> he's got certain charisma. Sorry, were you, were you daydreaming for a moment there? <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't have any Dark Tower thinnies. Uh, we did have a couple of yucking it up moments. What'd you have? I think I know where you're going. I thought Nadine splatting on the on the in the pool was a nice touch. I was like, oh, okay, that's sort of a, a neat little thing. And then Trash Can Man obviously has deteriorated further. That was not pleasant. He he reminded me of the uh, the one character in RoboCop who falls in the radioactive waste and then gets yeah run over. He's all like, ah, and his face is melting. Yeah. So I think that those were my two yucking it up moments. Yeah, in, in a way, I think Trash Can Man actually was almost less unpleasant to look at after he was <laughs> melted by the by the by the radiation you know he started off covered in uh scars that that yep. went from his the top of his head like across most of his face both of his arms hands everything that was like heavily heavily scarred and now he just had this nice even <laughs> like radiation burn that sort of just smoothed him back out again yep but i agree that he still was pretty gross <laughs> the yucking it up that I wanted to call out is sort of the the next step from what you talked about with Nadine's fall into the pool. And that is when Larry is shown her her head. Yep. And the scattered teeth, the missing lower jaw, the sheared away nose, like ugh, it was awful. I think it was an awesome physical effect. It was. Whoever built that head I don't have any trouble imagining that a human head ending up looking exactly like that after falling that far and hitting that hard. You don't turn into just like a person who's asleep with a running with a bloody nose. No. You are I think you're physically destroyed and that's why you're dead from a fall like that. So, I think they did a great job of showing what that would actually look like and it was pretty yucky. So, Sean, did we get any new patrons recently? In fact, we did. The aforementioned Tom A, who had sent in a email to us, is a patron who joined at the Gunslinger level. And so thank you, Tom, for, for doing that. Tom and our other patrons support the show, and they get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. And our one for February... Jay and I just recorded, and that is on the short story, The Mangler. If you become a patron, you can listen to that episode soon, and you can hear about not only The Mangler, but also The Mangler 2, Graduation Day, (laughs) and The Mangler 3, The Mangler Reborn. You want to get those inside jokes, you got to become a patron. Yeah. Yes, become a patron like Sharon L., who is celebrating her one year of being a patron this month. So thank you again, Sharon, for your continued patronage. We love it. All right. Time for some fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Want to start us off? I will start off. Jay, my fun stuff was that this episode was only 48 minutes long, the shortest episode of the series so far. And for (laughs) that, I praise you, episode. (laughs) Yes. That's one way to fix it in the edit. (laughs) Just cut down the total runtime. They still left about 47 minutes too many. I actually had a lot of fun in certain moments of the show. And I think a result of that is the extra campiness. So while it was maybe like big picture wise, kind of weird for this tonal shift, I didn't necessarily shy away from it. So anyway, a lot of great jokes happened in the courtroom scene. One of those was when Glenn says to Lloyd, Lloyd, you're the bailiff. I thought you were the prosecutor. And and like he, there's real pity in his voice when he does this. And of course, this is Greg Kinnear just killing it 
like he always does in this in the show but just perfect comedic timing there glenn is the high point of this episode for me he his acting is just on point from the initial scene when they're in the Guantanamo red jumpsuits and in a cage like ice, I think it was supposed to be a political statement of some sort, but you know, he starts to see what's happening in Vegas. And then in that courtroom scene, he's just brilliant. I thought it was a nice touch that Glenn was actually killed in front of Larry and Ray, Mm. because that I think adds to Larry. If again, if the writers were good, they could have really added this to Larry. Like Larry's whole arc in the, in the whole story is that he ain't no nice guy. And he's a, a little bit afraid of leadership, and he's not sure if he can do the right thing at the right moment. And he's always worried about backsliding, whether that be into drugs or whether it be into his relationships. And I could see that Glenn standing up for what he believes is right, being that impetus for Larry saying, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I will fear no evil. I will take a stand. And Glenn doing that is just so emotional. So I like the fact that Glenn was great. I like the fact that it happened how it happened in front of Larry. I just think they could have done a little bit more to take it over the top. Yeah. Fun stuff is Glenn. Greg Kinnear was was great and he should have more screen time. Always a gem. And just to continue with the Glenn thing, he makes a Game of Thrones reference when they mention Randall Flagg and he's like, oh yes, the queen of the Andals, first among his kind. And, and I thought that that was clever, you know, again, maybe a little bit campy because we hadn't mentioned that before. And to tell you the truth, Glenn doesn't seem a Game of Thrones type to me. I don't even see him really having a TV in his house. Maybe he read the books, Sean. <laughs> Damn, you got me there. Because <laughs> Glenn's, if nothing else, Glenn is a reader. So there is that. I think I would have enjoyed that reference more if I wasn't just viscerally angry every time somebody mentions Game of Thrones now. I used to think that show was one of the best things ever, and the books are fantastic. But now I just get, I just get angry. Hey, it could have been worse. It could have been the stand. Oh, yes. Game of Thrones had many good episodes mm-hmm. and solid seasons. In fact, yeah, we've got eight episodes of garbage so far. And just to continue this, like we said two episodes ago, boy, they've got a lot to wrap up in two episodes because episode nine is going to be an all new episode with Stephen King wrote special for the show. Mm-hmm. And I sort of assumed that Tom and Stu were going to get back to Boulder at the end of this episode. So I'm going to be really interested to see what episode nine looks like, Jay. As will I. What other fun stuff do you have? So this is also from the courtroom scene and also one of Ratwoman's many, many costumes. As she is playing the judge, she has painted the scales of justice onto the corners of her eyes. So mm. she is embodying blind justice. With her own open eyes. And I don't know what kind of, I don't know, subtle message we're supposed <laughs> to be getting from this. But I think the, the contradictory nature of it, in just all by itself, was really interesting to me. And because she was just all over the place with all these costumes, and each one of those was just thematically spot on for the moment. It's right there. So, No, I think that, that, that that's a good one. Rolling forward with another Ratwoman moment. After the courtroom scene, when Ratwoman and Lloyd are like, they're having a conversation in the hallway of the hotel, and Lloyd's starting to cry because he's so upset about what's been going on and, and everything. He says, why did you make, why did you tell me to kill Glenn? Right. I wasn't supposed to kill him. And she says, I was acting. And Lloyd says, you were acting? 
should have given me a signal, like a wink or a caw-caw. So I thought that was hilarious because, yes. I mean, this whole thing is the stand and the, the crows and the caws and it's like, yeah, you should have given me a wink, wink or cacaws. Just kill him, but, you know, caca. <laughs> I've run out of fun stuff, Jay. That's why I'm being silent. <laughs> oh, have you? I, I kind of alluded to this, but another one of Ratwoman's costumes was the nurse. And one detail that I thought was especially crafty was that she painted the red cross symbol on her lips. So she had black lipstick with a red cross sign in the middle. Yep. And uh, that's how you know she's a professional. Yeah. I mean, all those years of uh, medical training, that's uh, you don't get to do that. Until. Yeah, I, I sort of wondered how good of a uh, birthing nurse or midwife or even obstetrician she was because when she had Nadine, it looked like properly posed to have a baby, you know, sort of legs and stirrups spread apart and laying back. However, the only part that was uncovered for Nadine was her actual belly and not any of the parts that the baby actually comes out of of a woman. I didn't understand how they're going to do the delivery. I assumed maybe we we're going to get a jump scare and the baby was actually just going to pop out of Nadine's belly, um, which would have been actually maybe a, an improvement. But Maybe she dropped out of obstetrician school. She's an obstetrician school dropout. And then finally, speaking of Nadine's exposed pregnant belly, it seemed like she was ready to give birth at, at any moment. This wasn't in the book. She instigates her own murder and death it seems well before she could have given birth so it seems like much more sure thing that her death also brings the death of the child right here it looks like this thing was gonna it's imminent yeah it was like seconds away right so when she goes through the window and down 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 i just had this picture uh, in my mind of flag like seeing her bloody in the pool and just saying it's still good it's still good it's still good. <laughs> I suppose the baby could have like left her body on the fall down. Yeah. And the demon maybe had demon wings and fly up and daddy, caca, caca. Yeah, that would have been a great effect, right? As as she like rotates slowly through the air and in, in you know in her free fall, and then her belly splits open and just go all the way at this point. I mean, you got nothing to lose. Just go full tilt. Yeah, show us the the demon child, and then have it hit the pool, and we see it's crushed too. And they show its head to Ray, at, at, like they showed Nadine's head to Larry. <laughs> Cancel the nursery. Cancel the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all I've got for fun stuff. We, we didn't mention, but there is a cool little scene with Stu and Kojak. Tom shows up at the end, so you know he's going to be there. And then Franny and Joe see the nuclear bomb go off. and. Franny seems to go into labor. And the show ends on a, oh shit, which I thought was a nice little touch. So that's pretty much what I thought about the show too. So Sean, how many Jamie Sheridans are you going to give this episode? Jay, that was very thoughtful of you to put a plural on that when it was not necessary. <laughs> Your question should have been, how many Jamie Sheridan do you give this? Because I only give this one Jamie Sheridan. All right. Well, I, I won't argue the grammar of, of your statement, but <laughs> that's fine. I'd say that's about right. I was leaning towards one Jamie Sheridan myself. And rightfully so. But I think that a couple of things. One, 
the special effects and the visuals of this episode, just like all the others, I, I think was enough to redeem at least part of a Jamie Sheridan. And <laughs> I really did get a couple of really great laughs from the things I mentioned in Fun Stuff. So put all that together and the fact that I adamantly refuse to cut Jamie Sheridan into pieces, <laughs> I'm going to give it two Jamie Sheridans. And I think that maintains our track record of me always giving better rating than you. Yep, I think so. But this is also my lowest rated episode of the season. I don't think there's any doubt that this is the lowest rated episode. We've got one more to go. We do have one more to go. With that, that's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we mercifully conclude our coverage of The Stand <laughs> with episode nine, Coda, Franny in the Well. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. Maybe that's what it is. She'll literally be in the well. It'll be like at the end of- um, And and Kojak will find her. What is it, Kojak? What is it? What? Freddy's in a well? (laughs) (laughs) What was was the uh, the 1922? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) He's just rewriting his own shit at this point. Franny in the well with a dead cow. Moo. 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 All right. Cancel. Cancel the nursery. Screw you, Benny.